You were living your life, climbing the ladder and carving out a career for yourself. You had big plans and big ideas. And then you had a baby and everything changed. Just like that. All of it came to a screeching halt. Maybe you kept working or maybe you stayed home. Either way, your world suddenly became very small. And though you were never alone, you were always lonely. You silently asked yourself, where did I go? Who is that tired looking woman staring back at me in the mirror? Until you remembered something very important. You aren't just a mother. You are a mother plus artist, a mother plus entrepreneur, a mother plus musician, a mother plus yogi. You can have an identity outside of motherhood. My name is Stacy Hudson. I'm a mother to two under four, plus writer, certified health coach, aspiring entrepreneur, and athlete. My name is Stephanie Springer. I'm a mother to 10 and 15-year-old girls, plus writer, music therapist, producer, singer, and teacher. Here, we will interview mom bosses, entrepreneurs, artists, athletes, and passionate hobbyists and talk about how to find the thing that lights you up again. You're in there. We know it. You just have to find her again. Welcome to the Mother Plus Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Mother Plus Podcast. We have some fantastic guests today. Uh, today, we have Suzanne Barchers and Barb Gablehouse with us, and I'm super excited about this episode because... I think it's going to give us a different perspective on motherhood. Suzanne actually is my ex neighbor. We no longer live across the street from each other, but we've stayed in touch because she's fantastic and she has a writing background. And so we clicked right away and she told us that she had this fantastic friendship with Dr. Barb Gablehouse and that she had kind of a story to tell about their motherhood experiences when their children were younger. And so I'm super excited to bring this to you guys today because I feel like they can give us a perspective from the way motherhood was when their children were younger versus now, as well as the way they banded together to find the other side of their plus they used each other to do that. So I also want to say hi to Steph, our co-host. Hi, Steph. How are you? Hello, everybody. I am really looking forward to our episode today. Um, it's such a unique story of how Suzanne and Barb both went back to school, um, Barb to medical school and Suzanne to get her doctorate, and how they both had young children at this time and how they turned to each other for support. The other thing about it that I think is going to be so interesting is that Suzanne and Barb were raising their kids um, about the same time that my mom was raising me and my brother. So this is also a story of what it was like to be raising kids in the 1980s and to be simultaneously pursuing your dreams, education, and career while raising kids. I think you are going to be truly inspired by their story. Hi, Suzanne and and. Uh... And Barb, Dr. Barb. Hi. Hi to both of you. Thanks for having us. And just moments ago, I found out that Dr. Barb is the famous pediatrician whose practice we went to. I had her son as my children's pediatrician. So we're, I'm just, it's one of those small world things. So I'm just super excited to get to talk to both of you. So funny. What are the chances? I love it. All right. Well, let's start out with the most basic question. I'm going to ask it to both Suzanne and Barb. Can you tell us about your family's and where you lived when they were growing up? Well, we both lived in Arvada and Barb moved into the neighborhood shortly after I did. I had two young sons, 
one homemade and one adopted. And they were two and a half and infant respectively. And it was a lonely transition for me. I was a stay at home mom and I wasn't finding anybody that I could really communicate with until Barb moved in. And I sort of adopted her and forced her to be my friend. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, that's really where the story starts. And I'll let you you tell, uh, let Barb tell a little bit more about her family. But now I have two grown sons and five grandchildren. They are 19, 17, 16, 12 and six. And last year, by the way, I homeschooled the two younger ones during the pandemic, which was a very enriching experience. Oh my goodness. Her classroom that she set up in her house, house, her basement. It was fantastic. I mean, I wish I wanted to send my children to what she called brand school because they were learning way more than they were ever going to learn at a typical school at a public school. Wow. Grand school. I wish I could have sent my children to grand school. (laughs) Mine attended hot mess school instead. It wasn't, (laughs) wasn't quite as successful. (laughs) Wow. That's a story in and of itself. Okay. So two grown sons and five grandchildren ranging from ages six to 19. Right. Okay. Gotcha. And Barb, how about you? Tell us about your family. Well, I am married to Tim um, since 1973. Uh, be 49 years this year, our big 50th next year. Wow, same and as my we, parents. <laughs> we have uh, three kids, uh, two boys and a girl. Um, uh, Brian, that who you know, Dr. Brian. Dr. Brian. Dr. Brian, and he and his wife have uh, two boys who are uh, 14 and 11. And my youngest child is also a boy, uh, Andy, and his wife also have two boys who are 13 and 10. And my daughter and, and her husband have a really cute dog and some very nice bicycles. <laughs> you have a you, between the two of you you have lots of boys stacy and i are the all girl crew mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. we both have two girls so lots of boys in your families that's right which didn't work out as well as i was hoping for my um wish to sew little girl outfits oh you can do that for my children <laughs> <laughs> yeah she's quite a seamstress wow so And I guess that leads us to what we do outside of being mothers and grandmothers. Yes. Please tell us, each of you, who who are you outside of being a mother slash grandmother? Well, after I finished my doctorate, and we'll get into the story of how I got my doctorate in education and Barb got her MD, because that's really the important part of the story. I was a teacher, and then I started writing professionally and built a career in education. professional writing for educators and for children, mostly school curriculum and kits. So I've written lots of books, everything from children's books to textbooks. And I continue to do a little bit of writing and also advise a company in Madrid. I worked for Leapfrog Company for a while. So I had experience in educational toys and did a lot of consulting after that job ended. And 
Um, now I work for a company in Madrid called Lingo Kids, and it's an app for children, an educational app, particularly for learning English. And I just wrote Barb into advising that same company, and she had her first experience today as serving as Ask a Pediatrician. So, Ooh. so we're not fully retired, although Barb has a lot more interests than I have beyond education. Well, let's see. Outside of being a mother and a pediatrician, I retired about five years ago, six. I have tons of hobbies, tons of hobbies. Um, give us your list. Oh yes, my Give gosh. us your list. Well, I like gardening mm, me too. and I have a huge vegetable garden in my backyard, huge. And I sew, um, not as much as I used to, but I, I, I do. So I spent, <laughs> I spent a year sewing masks for mm. everybody. I bet. I, and I sewed gowns and scrub hats for my son's office because they couldn't get PPE. And so right. I got sheets, bed sheets donated, and I turned them into gowns and hats. Wow. Yeah. And one of the things that goes along with her gardening is that she's a fantastic cook. And that's actually one of the projects that we were working on during the pandemic. And we've set aside, but we're going to be doing a little bit for Lingo Kids as a cookbook and not a cookbook for kids or a cookbook for parents, but a cookbook for families to cook a meal together, together collaboratively. Oh, great and idea. so a, a three-year-old can do some simple things and you can also be working on fractions and weights and values. Really? Equivalence while and nutrition. doing all kinds of cooking. You're wow. bringing all that in. Oh, wow. That's really interesting. And so like we, we divide up a recipe and assign the tasks. And um, we, I think when traveling was available again, we both started traveling. That's something we also do with our kids and grandkids. And, and with um, each other. And with each other too. Lucky. Yeah, we were just in Hawaii together. Oh, heaven. Um, <laughs> one of the advantages of being retired or semi-retired. Um, but we're going to be going back to this project and we would cook together and then eat our meal and then figure out how it would work for a recipe. This is amazing. I feel like that's something that I've never even heard of. And, and it seems like such a, a revolutionary topic of creating recipes for families it, it not came, cooking for kids yes it came uh, to me um one christmas i was trying to as part of christmas gifts to kids and grandkids i was looking for cookbooks um i love teaching my grandkids how to cook and my kids all cook and that all came out of figuring out how to have some quality time with them when I was in the middle of medical school, mm -hmm. I assigned a cooking night to each of them every week. Kristen mm -hmm. got Monday, Brian got Tuesday, Andy got Thursday. At what age? Well, oh. Andy was Andy was four. The youngest was oh, four wow. when we started nice. to do that. And they got to pick the meal huh. that we were going to cook. And, um, and then they got to help prepare it. Not, I mean, we didn't just like make chocolate chip cookies for dessert. I mean, they helped make the dinner. So they each picked their favorite meal 
Brian picked uh, meatloaf, mashed potatoes, and that little silver can of peas. Kristen picked spaghetti, and Andy picked um, uh, fried chicken in the microwave, microwave fried chicken. At four, he was just a little bit young to mess around on the actual stove. And they picked the same meal. They never changed it. So every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday for an entire year, <laughs> that's what we ate. That's about right. Yep. It is all because what because what a gift. You you had help and well, everyone wins. Was, yeah, the rule was who whoever was the assistant cook came to the kitchen at five o'clock. And everybody else had to stay down in the playroom or go outside and they could only come up if the house was on fire or they couldn't stop the bleeding. (laughs) That's the pediatrician. I love it. This is so great because I feel like this is a little bit of a lost art that we, oh, I could go on and on. My kids are older than Stacy's. I have a teenager and a tween. Um, But just the fact that children are viewed differently now as these sort of precious, priceless little people that we need to cater to. And it's not right. It's not right for them. It's It's not not right for us. Everyone loses. Yes. It's a terrible thing for them to think that the world revolves around them. They are not the center of the universe. Absolutely. It's not good for them and it's not good for us. And to to have it be an expectation that your children are participating in taking care of the family, not because they're being punished or because they're being child labor, but because that's what you do when you're in a family. Yes. Everybody contributes. It gave me one-on-one time with each child. Um, they actually learned some cooking skills Mm -hmm. by the end of the year. I I have to tell you, I felt a little guilty. One time I got a phone call that I couldn't discuss within earshot and it was Andy's cooking night. And I went, um, there was an entryway into our house, but there was glass I could see into the kitchen. And I went in the little entryway to handle the phone call. And Andy just continued to make dinner. This four-year-old, cracking eggs and dipping them in the egg and dipping them in the crumbs and lining them up and then climbing off his chair and scooting the pan over and then scooting his chair over and climbing back up to put it in the microwave. And wow, I thought, am I a bad mother? No, (laughs) that makes you a great mother. And he absolutely did it. He he did it. it. Yeah. I feel like this is actually perfect transition to talk a little bit. I really want to dive into the story we came here to tell today, but I I have to ask this question because I'm so curious on nearly every episode of this podcast. We talk about how, where we are currently in, in our culture and society with motherhood and the pressure that moms feel today. Stephanie talked about it a little bit with like treating our children as if they're these special little crystals. I don't know what the word is. And of course they're special, but come on. Yeah. Right. And, 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 and this pressure to be and do everything for your kids all the time while, you know, exercising and climbing the ladder in your career and staying fit and healthy and also taking care of yourself. And I, maybe this is, maybe this is the way it's always been, but I, I don't think it is. And I'd love to hear you both speak to 
how things were maybe different when you were raising your children and what you felt like the expectations were on you then versus now and what we perceive that we have to be as mothers every day in this day and age versus when, when you guys were raising your children. Does that make sense? I, yes. I think there, it, it seems to me that there's a lot more pressure on moms today to do everything perfectly. And I don't know if it's to one up each mm. other, but our idea of a birthday party was it's your birthday, pick five people. I'll bake a cake. <laughs> there we go. It's and we'll, you will play. You have, to, just, <laughs> you have to listen to our previous episode. It's called why I, do moms have to be so extra? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. I did. I did. Yeah. It, we, it's over the top. Yeah. It, and, and when we were, in fact, my kids, I had a party every other year and I did make costumes for them for Halloween, but it was every other year. And they did, you know, the hand-me-downs or the one from the year before. And we were talking about this before the, this gathering that our emphasis on fitness was getting through the day. Mm-hmm. We, we did things with our kids. We were essentially stay-at-home moms. We each of us had a little part-time jobs. I taught piano and flute lessons in the home. And I got out a little bit to do some performing on a modest level. Um, Barb had some part-time work, but mostly we were stay-at-home moms and we were busy with our kids. Now, it was easier in that we lived around the corner from each other. We were in a quiet neighborhood. If Brian said, can I go play with Jeff? Off he went. You know, we knew each other's schedules. The kid just roamed around the neighborhood pretty freely. But I think the the important story is the one that happened when I was about 35 and Barb was 30 and we were sitting around talking about what if we had done fill in the blank. We would have a pity party. Okay, that's what we called them, pity parties. We'd sit and drink our coffee and whine about our boring lives. and you know, whose time was it for the nap and another snack and another cleanup and, you know, this endless round of, of meals, laundry, keeping the kids active and busy and, and figuring, it was, figuring out what to make for dinner. Right. And it again. was, it was mm-hmm. easier for the kids to all be playing together than it was to have our own kids and be fully in control. Yes. And it was during one of those conversations, I was, I had, finished my master's some years before, and I had already thought about getting my doctorate. And Barb took me up to CU Boulder and showed me around the campus. We probably had all the kids with us. And then um, she said, well, she wished she had become a doctor. And I said, well, why don't you go to med school now? And I said, by the time I did the prerequisite classes and then went to medical school and then did a residency, I'd probably be like 40 by then. And I said, well, I'm closing in on 40. I was 35 or 36. So you can either be 40 and Dr. Barb, or you can sit here and be whining in, in eight or 10 years. And I said, shut up, Suzanne. It's time for you <laughs> It's time for you to go home. I need to feed Brian and put him down for a nap. <laughs> so she went home and I put Brian down for a nap. And 
um, I called the medical school in Denver and I said, I'm just curious about what is required for admission. I'm not, I'm not interested in applying. I'm just curious about what's required. And they sent me a huge packet of information and it didn't seem that not doable. Like, you know, you could take a class or two at a time and get it done. So it's all Suzanne's fault, actually. <laughs> Way to That's go, pretty Suzanne. That's amazing to be responsible for that. Sometimes she blames me. Sometimes she credits me. But that's when we really put our heads together about how are we going to do this and how are we going to pull it off? And I was teaching at the time uh, or shortly thereafter, um, doing a little bit of teaching. And then we essentially, even though... I hate the term, it takes a village. That's what it became. Our kids grew up in each other's houses. Mm -hmm. And her mom, her mom was incredible. And my kids considered her mom just an important part of the family. And we would pool our kids for different things. Barb often watched my kids while I was at classes. Um, and then sometimes I would watch her kids while she, by this time she had three she continued having children throughout uh, medical school. And in yeah. fact, if I can share, you even had a miscarriage during that time, which was a real challenge. Mm -hmm. And, um, but yet, you know, just kept going and, and we worked it out between the two of us. Sometimes you and Tim, I remember you on your anniversaries, you would still go on a trip, you carved out time for yourselves. And I would have the kids maybe three nights. We did that. If you recall, we did that for a while, one weekend a month, your kids would come stay with That's right. me. That's right. I forgot for the whole weekend. We, we forget a lot at this age <laughs> for the whole weekend. And then one weekend a month, my kids would go to your house yeah. And so we could have date night or whatever oh date weekend. And, and this. it was, it was the best. I mean, either way, whether the kids came to my house or my kids went to her house, it was the easier. It was the, those were the easy weekends, the weekends yes. that we had our own kids, just our own kids were much harder than the weekends that we had all the kids or none of the kids. Mm -hmm. I might, I feel like I'm actually going to start crying listening to this. I don't know <laughs> if my eyes are full of tears right now because this is beautiful and it's so unique and it makes me sad that it's so unique. It makes me sad that most people don't have a Barb or a Suzanne. Exactly. Um, yeah. And I don't know why. I don't know why either. I don't I, know I, why we have done this to ourselves. I don't know what got us here. It makes me wonder if what you were saying about the one-upmanship, it feels like moms have become more and more isolated. Um, they don't depend on each other like family. And I know what you're saying. I, I have a couple of best friends whose our, our kids are the same age. And we always say thank you when the other one takes them for a play day. And the person who's hosting is like, don't thank me. You just made my day a whole lot easier. You know, it's, true. it's like you said, it's easier when you had the whole crew rather than just your heart. Yeah, the hardest thing when whichever one of us had the whole crew, the hardest thing was getting them to come in from playing to have lunch. Yeah. Like 
Good You're Lord, right. I miss the 80s. Oh, my gosh. If I could raise my children, right, we talk about having 1980s summers. That's just kind of my jam. But I, I have this deep nostalgic longing for my childhood because I don't know if everybody feels this way, but, oh, it was a better time. It was a better time. But in so many ways, I really, truly think it was a better time to be a parent than it is right now. And I miss it. And I'm sad that my children don't have the same growing up experience that I did. I'm kind of sad for the kids today because what they are missing out on is um, the experience of learning to manage their own time. Yes. Yes. I mean, parents are scheduling their play dates and scheduling what's going to happen during the play dates. And our kids just went to play at each other's houses. And right. And, and as they grew up too, they, they did take piano lessons. All the kids became very good pianists and not from me. Um, but, um, they also did participate in sports, but none of our kids, I don't think yours were, I know mine weren't, they weren't doing every sport, every season. They were doing, they were doing a sport and they would focus on that. And we were just talking about how we would manage our own studies in our work. I went to all the track meets, but I had one of the very earliest laptops, which was really expensive at the time. And I would sit there at track meets on the bleachers or leaning against something, writing papers or studying or with books um, along with me. And then I'd wait for that five minutes when they would be participating and then sit for two hours until the next event. And we just found ways to work in the the efforts to reaching the goals, the end goal, my doctorate and her MD, um, well, plus your residency, by using all those, those little minutes here and there where we were there, we were active, we were participating, but we were, I hate to use the word multitasking, but in many ways we were multitasking all the time. You must have been just time management experts. Can you remind, how old were each of your children when you went back to school? Mine were six and eight, I think, by the time, by the time I was well into the doctoral studies. Um, Yeah, because they were at least in school part of the time. But I was also working by that time too, because I went back to teaching. So all the time that I was getting my doctorate, we were supporting each other, particularly during the summers. I was teaching, but I did have my summers off and and I was working on the doctorate and I did it in four years. And so I had no life other than parenting co-parenting mm-hmm. with Barb mm-hmm. and, and both of our husbands were as supportive as possible for men to be. <laughs> who well said. Have, have <laughs> um, both of our so husbands this, did the laundry. So this is the kitchen. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'll tell you one little mean story about my Oh, yes, husband. please. We were taking a, a walk with the dog one time and I was in the, I was teaching and I was in the middle of my graduate work and, and I just felt so stressed. And, and he was, he was very supportive. Don't get me wrong, but he was clueless about so many things. And I said to him, what would you do if I died? 
I said, would the kids get to the dentist, to the orthodontist? Would you get to the school conferences? And he said, well, I'd figure it out. And I said, pretend I'm dead. (laughs) 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 Which was a horribly bitchy thing to say. (laughs) And for about three months, things were better. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, I'd have to remind Remind him again that you were dead. Yeah. (laughs) Because it's, gosh, it's so easy to slide out of those. Yeah. Well, I, I, as you can see, we, we can relate on some small level to what you're talking about. And and so Barb, your kids must've been little because one of them hadn't even been born yet. Well, when I started, when I actually started medical school, okay. Uh, I had all three kids. So okay. that, there was quite the time lag between when I said, I, I think I'd like to do this. And, and when you did, somebody said, then just <laughs> do it. And then when I actually, I had to take prerequisite class. I mean, Kristen was born shortly after Suzanne and I had had that discussion over coffee. And I was taking a um, anatomy and physiology class at the community college. And um, she was like, six days old when I went back to class, took her with me, wrapped her in a blanket, sat in the back of the class because if she needed to eat, I'd have to shove her up under my shirt. But otherwise wrapped her in a blanket and laid her on the table next to the cat we were dissecting. Oh my God. This is amazing. That is a great story. The PS to that is that her daughter became a veterinarian. Oh, she did it. You're serious? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I want you guys to write a book. Oh, you guys are lovely. Um, can, can I ask a question that we haven't put on here, but I, I have to ask. So you were both stay-at-home moms. Did you think being a stay-at-home mom would fulfill you originally? No. No. Never. I, I hate housework. So what was your what was your plan? You knew you wanted to have children. You knew you wanted to be mother, but you knew you wanted more than that. I didn't have a plan. No, it was Suzanne had your plan. It was sort of um, what was expected of our generation. You, if you could, you went to college and then you had your kids. And I didn't have Jeff till I was almost 28. And I was 30 when I adopted Josh. And you essentially shaped your life around your husband's career. Mm-hmm. My husband had his PhD in chemical engineering and had a, a an okay job. He wasn't making a fabulous salary. Barb's husband was an attorney and neither of us had a lot of extra money. I mean, you know, I sewed clothes for the kids, made their costumes and, you know, cooked at home. We rarely ate out. I clipped coupons, all those things, but that was pretty normal mm-hmm. for people that I knew and associated with, but I, it's just like having grown up mostly in the Midwest. I knew I wouldn't stay there. I knew that someday I would get away from this small town. And I knew that some point I would pursue a career, but I really didn't take off in my career until I was 50. Mm -hmm. And at that stage in my life, I said, to my family and they were grown, the boys were grown. I said, 
For 30 years, I've shaped my life around my husband and my kids. And I don't know what I'm going to do next, but it's going to be for me. Oh my gosh. I, and, I just... and that's what I did. And at that, and I took a job um, in Connecticut for weekly readers. Some of you may have gotten that magazine in school. I was managing yep. editor there and yep. went from there to become vice president and editor, editor in chief at Leapfrog. But, and, and I don't regret the path that I took because I was doing a lot of things along the way. Um, for example, the first book that I got published, I was working full time and I had been writing a little bit through my doctorate and one of my professors encouraged me to write with her and then another one I wrote with him for a while. And I, I turned in a proposal, this book was immediately accepted and people often say, how do you find the time to write? Well, I was so excited. I would wake up at 4.30 in the morning thinking about the book. And I thought, I might as well get up and write a few pages. So every morning I woke up at 4.30, just naturally wrote a few pages and then went off to teach in Denver and you know get the kids off to school and everything. And that summer I told the kids, I need to write 10 pages a day to finish before school starts again. And at the end of that 10 pages, we can go and do something. We'll go to the pool, we'll do whatever. But during that time period, which may take me three hours, may take me five hours, you're on your own. Yep. And in September, the book was done. And they didn't have one argument that whole summer. And they were, I, I guess maybe 10 or 12, 13, somewhere. I mean, they were old enough to have some pretty brutal fights. By but why, was, why do I we not, unavailable. right. Why do we not send that message more easily? And I, I, I do that. That's how I'm wired. But my problem is every time I do that, I'm unavailable. This is when I, I feel guilty. I feel like I'm doing something wrong. Um, you should read the autobiography written by uh, Golda Meir, who was okay. the first female prime minister of Israel. Mm -hmm. And she had, I think she had two kids and somebody asked her at some point um, with all the work you're doing, doesn't it make you, f how do you, how do you not feel guilty? Something like that. And her response was something like, you don't stop feeling guilty. You just get used to it. Yeah. I mean, my motto is kind of feel the guilt and do it anyway. Yeah. Because I, in my heart, I don't believe that by telling my children, I am doing this right now, I am unavailable. I do not believe cognitively that that is something that is negligent. I don't believe it's something that's going to harm them. But I feel like the type of motherhood that we marinate in right now, we feel like there's something wrong with us when we do that. Um, and I can't pinpoint why that is. And know? I don't know how it got to be like that because I'll bet your mother didn't raise you that way. No, no. She, she stayed home until I was 13. And then she went back to work as a teacher and she became a very well-known and prominent teacher in her community for working with children with autism and learning disabilities. Mm -hmm. And 
everybody knew her and everybody wanted her expertise. But there was that 13 years when my brother and I were front and center. And I don't ever remember being mad that she went back to work because I saw her thriving as a person. I remember feeling proud of her because she was beloved by her students. She had one student who would put her picture on his timer that when the timer went off, you get to go see Mrs. Smith. And I remember feeling so proud that like my mom was such a great teacher that she was like the motivator. When the timer goes off, you get to see Mrs. Smith, you know, and I, I remember feeling proud like that. So it's not like I ever as a child thought the world should revolve around me. And I think all of us 80s children, free range, roaming around, our parents went out on date nights, we had babysitters. Right. You know, we didn't feel we didn't feel wronged. So it's it's not like I learned from my own childhood that we were supposed to make children the center of our universe. I don't like like Stacy said, we don't know when or how this happened. Um, but I think you nailed it when you said moms today feel like they have to be perfect at everything. And when you mentioned that one upmanship, it makes me wonder if that's why we don't have Barb's and Suzanne's because we're not willing to make ourselves vulnerable and real and, and lean on each other and rely on each other. I think the one upmanship even exists with I'm, I'm having the hardest time. Like the one upmanship Mm -hmm. sometimes isn't about I'm doing the best. It's I'm the hottest mess, you know, like I am the most stressed and I have four kids or five you're, kids. You're the and, most of something. Yeah. The most of something. Right. Yeah. And it's all over social media, which doesn't help, of course. No. So. Right. And I think it's exacerbated <clears throat> by people having their children later in life too. Mm-hmm. And even though at my age, having my first one at almost 28, that was considered really late for my generation. <laughs> Same with my mom. She took me home on her 29th birthday and that yeah. was 1978. Yeah. Yeah. And and people wondered, was I ever going to have a child? You know, they worried about me. Um, But I think that when we put something off like that, then it does become more precious, particularly if there's been some difficulty in giving birth Mm -hmm. and, and there's been an establishment of a career. And I, I don't want to denigrate teaching, but teaching is certainly well, it was one of the few options for my generation, but it was something that at least gave a little bit more flexibility to your life. And, mm-hmm. and it was a more portable profession, you know, yes. because I was following my, my husband around through getting drafted through the Vietnam years. And I had amazing experiences because I could always get a teaching job for those first years, mm-hmm. but it wasn't moving forward on the corporate ladder where I needed to be stationary. Right. I could be portable. You weren't swimming against the current. And, and I do think that is one of the things about teaching that lends itself to motherhood. And and so, yeah, like you said, you're not denigrating teaching, but it certainly is e- easier to be a mother and a teacher than it is to be a mother and a uh, corporate climber or a mother who's going to medical school or a mother who's working and getting a PhD. It's um, that is not portable or something you can just step into the flow and integrate easily um, into and your I think life. Too, for both of us, we had we had parents who were professionals, but they were also our mothers in particular were great problem solvers. Hmm. And I think we had that role model of, okay, you you need to get X, Y, Z done. How can you do it? How can you do it efficiently? 
And my mom was a preacher's wife and a teacher and raised three daughters. And she led the choir and she taught Sunday school and, you know, she just did it all. So my role model was someone who, and, and oh, by the way, she didn't have us cook dinner. She did it all too. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know how she did it, but she was very good at problem solving and had high energy. And I think we both inherited that from our mothers, which is so important. Right. Well, question for both of you. So I feel like we've gotten this beautiful glimpse of how you were physically and emotionally there for each other during this intense time of pursuing your careers and raising children. Did you have to let go of anything during those oh years? Oh my gosh. Please tell us what didn't make the cut. Okay. Uh, my husband took over laundry. So did mine. Um, wow. And there, there was one year that we all had pink underwear for the entire year because he yep. put all of the whites in the machine. And then at the last minute grabbed Andy's brand new soccer shorts, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. red and tossed them into the washing machine. Sounds about right. Mm -hmm. So we had pink underwear, all <laughs> five of us for a year. Mm -hmm. um, groceries. I didn't realize that it, that it was possible for someone to go to the grocery store, get a week's worth of groceries and not step foot in the produce aisle. Oh no. <laughs> but my husband could do it. <laughs> kudos to him. Mm -hmm. And you know what? We didn't die. You didn't mm -hmm. die. No. You know, okay. Can I say something? This is really, I, I love that when we talk about like, okay, so you're juggling this and that, what are you going to let go of? Why do we feel though that letting go of groceries and laundry is something that we shouldn't even consider? Like, do you know what I mean? Why are, why are we doing it in the first place all the time? Right. You know, I, right. I packed up my flute and didn't play for the next three years, okay. three or four years. And I didn't play piano much during mm -hmm. that time. Also didn't do the laundry. I did do the grocery shopping because I could go do it, be back in an hour. It was pretty efficient. And I cooked in batches. I made big batches of pasta sauce and big batches of sloppy joe. You know, I had these basic recipes that we ate off of for four years and again, didn't die. Well, and so you... You had each other. You obviously didn't let go of that friendship. Do you feel like you had to let go of other social things? Yeah, yeah. I didn't. Lots. I didn't entertain. Um, didn't have people over for dinner. Uh, couldn't afford to go out to dinner. Um, I didn't watch TV except on Friday nights. I allowed myself an hour to watch Dallas and an hour to watch Knott's Landing. <laughs> and that was it. Mm -hmm. And like we were saying before, we, we weren't fitness nuts because we were so busy with life and with our kids that that Re wasn't an issue. Right. Really, nobody was. I mean, there weren't gyms on every other corner. No, it was different. There was, was no CrossFit. Nope. Really, nobody went running. Mm -hmm. uh, but we biked with our kids. We we played, we went swimming with our kids. I we did tennis things. a little bit. Yeah, we did. It was all focused on our kids. What recreation we did mm -hmm. was. Did I play family. tennis with you? Oh heavens no! <laughs> I don't know who I played. I don't remember who I played tennis with. But I know that that whoever I played tennis with, we would take our tennis rackets and tennis balls and 
kids and tricycles and whatever. And we would play on one court and the kids would ride their trikes on the other court. No, that wasn't me. You must have had another friend. (laughs) (laughs) You were cheating on her. (laughs) So you, you did have to make a lot of sacrifices and it sounds like you also really plumbed the depths of your creativity to see what what you could do time management wise and what you could combine yes but i didn't consider it a sacrifice Mm. i i considered it a a choice of using my time for something that had an end to it well i mean a choice it's all about you know where are your values currently Right. And our values at that point were getting our education. Yep. Getting our education was our self-care. I right. mean, there were there were no manicures. There were no. That's not self-care anyway. You know, what, prioritizing yourself as a person is self-care. And that's what you were doing. That's yes. Right. That's that right. was our self-care. And, and there was joy in getting in my car and going to class. Mm -hmm. and maybe having a snack or a meal if I had time if I had two classes usually on Monday night I had two classes back to back and and that was a joy to me because I was nurturing my mind Mm -hmm. and and I was making acquaintances in classes you know not a lot of really close friends but I did have some socialization and made some dear friendships among professors because I was an older student Mm. You know, I was I was in my mid to late thirties at that point. Yeah, very old, and uh, so it it felt different. It wasn't like I struggled with studying. It was a joy to be able to say to my family, "I have to go study for this test." So it's like when I'm home alone and my kids are at school and I'm working. That's what I want to do. I want to be working on this podcast or facilitating writing classes or writing myself. I don't want to sit down and watch TV. I, sometimes I do, and sometimes I want to read a book, but it's it's the working that really fires me up. If I were mm-hmm. to spend a whole day in front of my computer working, that would be my self-care. I, I, I don't think we had enough self-awareness to, to think about that at the time. But you know, one point I'd like to make is that we continue to wrestle with being parents and now grandparents. It's, we still talk about the challenges that our, our families are facing. They're different, but um, I've been very involved in my grandchildren for a variety of reasons um, for the last nine years. Um, my son's in a, a blended family with his kids, her child, and the one they had together. So it's kind of a Brady bunch. And um, Barb is very involved with her grandsons. We all, we both travel with our kids. She's teaching them Spanish lessons. And, um, and, and we fret still about our kids and, and our grandkids. And so the, it's a life sentence being a mom. So along the way, if you, you take a few moments for yourself and make sure that you're meeting your own needs, it keeps, keeps the well, you know, filled and keeps it primed. I think we're doing much better now, but it's a matter of, we have the time to 
look at ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, you walk every day. Yeah. You walk and walk and walk and walk. I, um, for a long time, took a couple of yoga classes a week and a Pilates class a couple times a week. And then we had COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just, I bought a, a reformer for my house. So right. I, I love uh, the reformer. Yeah. Keeps my I, back healthy. Well, my back is already not healthy. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm hoping that that's as far as it has to go, but I just got back into my Pilates class, but I, I mean, we never would have had time for that kind of stuff when we had small kids and classes and, and, and that was okay. Right. Is that what you're saying? That yeah, was okay that you didn't have fine. time for it. It's you don't, you can't do it all. You can't do it all. You cannot do it all. Yeah. And I like what you said about the, your education and your careers. That was your value. Then you, you chose to shine the light of your focus on that. You can't have light shining all over or you become a fragmented person and you're going to go crazy. That's right. And that's not to say that there weren't times where I felt a little crazy. <laughs> Part of it. That, the story about telling my husband to pretend I'm dead. But, um, <laughs> um, so, the, you know, those are, those are those moments. And the, there were tears on occasion of, of frustration and, and disappointment and, and, and feeling guilt. Of course, we felt guilt from time to time, but only when we were awake. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think we have to give ourselves permission for those moments and Absolutely. just say, okay, that's done. And I still, my, my husband died uh, seven years ago and I still have moments where I'll hear a song or I'll see something and I just fall apart. And I think, okay, that's all right. That's over. I'm, you know, I'm still grieving and it's okay. And uh, move on, do something, you know, that will lift my spirits. And that might be like Barb said, taking a walk on a beautiful day like today. So what, what would both of you say to busy moms who feel like they don't have the time or the resources to write the book or go back to school or pursue whatever it is that they want? Find a Suzanne. <laughs> Find a Barb. <laughs> They're out there. Yeah. And, you know, I think we're afraid to ask. We're afraid to say, I need your help to our spouses, to our friends, to our neighbors. And I can't imagine any of the people that, that I know in my circle who, if I said, I, I need you, I need you now. I, I, Stacy, you, when I lived across the street, you would have been right across the street. If I had a medical emergency or something like that. Mm -hmm. And likewise, Mm -hmm. she could have come to get you at Kaiser. She could have, (laughs) she could, except she she was, she had a little kid and was pregnant most of the time when I knew her, but um, yeah, Barb still shows up when I'm in the hospital for a broken ankle or whatever appendicitis. Um, But we need to ask. Yeah. I mean, people should just say to a friend, I have an idea how we can both get a couple of more hours a month to ourselves. What would you think of this? Yep. That's so beautiful and practical and simple. I love it. Love it. All right. We ask this question to every single guest and we get a different answer every single time. I'm so curious about your answer. What is it about motherhood that changes us? Well, I think it makes us better. 
I think it makes us more tired. Um, like I said, it's a life sentence. <laughs> You're a mother forever. And, and that's not a bad thing. But our, our depth of empathy, I think, grows exponentially. And we all experience that, I think, when we hold that first baby. Same way with holding the baby that you just adopted. You, you know how to fall in love instantly. I think it, it should broaden your ability to understand where other people are coming from. Even as, I mean, if you have more than one child and you think you're raising them the same and, the, and, and it's the same parents and, and you thought you did the recipe the same and the end product comes out different and you have to think about these are individuals, just like everybody you meet is an individual and it's the differences that make us interesting. And I don't know you think about other people. Okay, I'm, I'm, my daughter and her husband have made the deliberate decision not to have children. And that's their decision. But I can see a difference. I hope she doesn't watch this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, my son and his wife, they don't have children either by choice. And all of their decisions are based on what they want and what they like. I think it's easier when you have had kids to try to see the world from other people's view. Mm -hmm. I like that. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Your perspectives wow. and your wisdom and your story um, have really touched me today. I, I know they're going to touch a lot of people and... I feel like you've taught us a lot of things that maybe we intuitively know, but we have forgotten. Um, to see I somebody just, put into practice who has been putting it into practice for years to let their children be independent, to encourage, you know, community to come together, it, that it, it is difficult, but it's not impossible. And you can do these things. You just have to tap into resources, you know, like. It seemed like the easiest thing in the world to us to use each other. Yeah. I love that support. Right. I, I, th I think that that's something that is lacking in our, in our modern society. I don't think we lean on each other the way that we used to. And I think we forget that leaning on someone doesn't make you um, a taker because it's symbiotic when you're exactly. giving and taking it, exactly. you, you give as much as you get, you get as much as you give. Um, everybody wins. And I, I hope this makes a lot of people think, even if they can make one micro difference in their lives as moms to incorporate friendship, that's, this is, you're going to give a lot of people a lot to think about. I'm so grateful we had this hour to talk with you. Well, it's Thank been a pleasure. Both. Thank you can, so much. Can you tell us where our audience can find you if they wanted to get in contact with you or just see what you're up to? Well, I have a website that's under my name, SuzanneBarchers.com, and my contact information is there. Um, both of us, as I said, we're advising Lingo Kids, mm -hmm. and um, that's another way to... Um, kind of track Barb as she gets more involved. And I'm also doing a lot of blogs and things for them. So there's a lot of my work on their website and, and that's all free. 
Let's yeah, see. we'll we'll definitely link to those, and I'm I'm especially eager to see how the the cookbook project comes out. That is on my radar. So, thank you both for your thank time. Thank you so much. And thank your story you. Yeah, so beautiful. You. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Mother Plus Podcast. We cannot believe how many people out there are listening and loving our message. It's honestly a total, it's a dream come true for me and Steph. And we are just so grateful for all of you and for your views and comments and emails. And we wanted to make something for you to thank you and keep the momentum going. It's called the permission slip. As in, you have permission to pursue acting. You have permission to pursue writing. You have permission to pursue hot air ballooning if that's your thing. This guide is to help you find the other side of your plus. In it, we will help you dive into who you were before you became a mom and in turn, plan out the woman you want to become now that you are. It's so good, guys. We spent so much time on this. It's got everything you need to know to get your wheels turning. And most importantly, it also gives you practical steps you need to take to actually pursue your passions, even if you still have kids in diapers. All of this is available to you for free. You just have to visit motherplusser.com forward slash permission hyphen slip. That's motherplusser.com forward slash permission hyphen slip to download it. We hope that just by taking this one little step for yourself, it will put you on the path to find the thing that lights you up again. Go get it, Mother Plusers. We'll see you next time.